Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Monday, April 24th, 2023. I'm Mike Cachopoli. Okay, I hope everyone had a good weekend. Usually I talk more about my weekend. I don't think I'm going to do that today. You know, I wake up today and uh, I wake up and I turn on Twitter. Always a mistake, always a mistake, but that's the first thing I do. And I saw something that said, it said, I thought I read that Tucker Carlson and Fox News parted ways. I, I, and then I said, you know what? It's got to be one of these fake things. You know, I follow a lot of accounts and there are some real fake ones. Like I, I'm, I'm a Yankee fan. So I follow at New York Yankees. But there's a guy who runs a, uh, a fake account that's at New York Yankees. And if you don't look, if you look at it quickly, you think it's the real thing. And that happens with a lot of different, right? These people put up these very clever names that look close to the real name and you think you know what they're putting out there is real and it's not and I said, so i was sure it was at faux news right f-a-o and then i looked again and i said no at fox news with the verified mark and i said I, I i i'm not reading this right i'm not reading this right so i click on the story and there it is uh you know uh, a press release from fox saying that tucker carlson is no longer going to be on the network immediately that's it no more shows the end goodbye and i didn't i still thought i was having a stroke i didn't i didn't know what was happening i really didn't uh jackie berlin is going to be on in a minute and i plugged this on friday you know because i want to talk about gavin newsom calling in the national guard and the and the uh, highway patrol to combat the, the the fentanyl thing and i want jackie's take on it jackie's you know with mothers against drug addiction and deaths and I want her take on the whole thing, whether it's going to work, whether, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors, whatever. But then I also thought, well, Jackie's been on Tucker Carlson uh, a, a, at, least a, at least a couple of times. And I'm sure Jackie has her own opinion about what Fox News did. Off the top, I'm just going to say this reminds me, and then I'm going to get to Jackie and anyone who wants to call in. Um, but this reminds me of when I was working at, in radio in New York at WABC, which when I was there, it was the number one talk radio station in the world. Not because I was there, only partly because I was there. But uh, I, and I worked for a guy named Bob Grant, who was the number one show there. He did the afternoon drive, 3 to 6 p.m., and he was the number one show in New York, number one show on the station by far. No other ratings came close. And so I go, I worked for Bob for five years, and I go into the uh, station. I think it was, it was either March or May of 1996. I don't remember exactly what month. And uh, I go in, and uh, I, I, where's Bob? Oh, Bob was just fired today. He won't be here anymore. And it's, the feeling is just when you work with someone for five years and they're the top-rated station, you know, it's like when someone's doing poorly in the ratings, you think, oh, well, of course, they, they're not doing well. They suck, so they're going to get fired. But when the show is the top-rated and been that way for years. You're 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 shocked. You, you say, "What happened? What happened? Why? I, I don't get it." And then you start hearing rumors. You start hearing news, and you begin to get the politics right, and then you realize what happened. But all I can tell you, and this is not a lie. I'm not making this up. Look at look look it up. My radio station, which I left about four or five months later, went downhill from that part. Never recovered from canning the top-rated show. Now, the executives had their reasons, this reason, that reason, whatever it may be. 
Um, you know, the, the head honchos at Disney who owned the station didn't like his politics. They thought he was racist, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, long story short, they fired the guy with the top rated ratings and the station has never recovered since 1996. I believe that's exactly what will happen with Fox. And I understand that there are people at the station today who were just as shocked as I was on that day to come into work on Monday and see that Tucker Carlson is no longer with the station. Uh, it's the top rated news, pro- the top rated program in like the country, in the world. It's, it's crazy. It's, it, we'll talk more about it and I'll get Jackie's point of view. And we'll talk about my uh, least favorite person, the hair gel king of, of California. But Jackie, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to make you a speaker. So if there are callers, they can come in on the speaker. So I'm going to invite you to speak. Let's see if this works. Hopefully you can become, go into the speaker queue and then you can, maybe you have to accept my invitation for you to be a speaker. This will just make it easier if there are calls. Let's see if this works. Unmute your mic. You should be fine. You should be there. And your mic is in the, remember the bottom left-hand corner of your app. There you are. Hey, Jackie. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing okay. I tell you what, I'm just a little bit stunned. I'm sure you are. (laughs) A a lot of us are stunned today. When I woke up and I saw what had happened, I said, "I, I I don't get it. I'm confused. You know, and... It's if you look on Twitter today, of course, everyone's going insane, right? The left is doing their happy dance, and the people who like <laughs> talk, Tucker are saying they'll never watch Fox again. And I and many other people uh, canceled our subscriptions to uh, the, that little Fox, you know, the Fox Nation thing. So we're, we're all kind of this is so new. I'm I was taken aback by this. I understand that this is a tough business. There's a lot of politics involved, but I know you were on his show at least a couple of times, weren't you? Yes. Yes, yeah. I was. Um, and I got some flack for being on his show because, you know, he's a controversial figure. Um, and like, honestly, I just said, my message is for everybody, no matter who they are, because I mean, I'm talking out about fentanyl and fentanyl deaths and it, like I'll speak on any platform that will have me because everybody needs to hear about this. Um, but the whole, the whole Tucker Carlson thing was really surprising to me today. And I, I did hear some people saying that possibly maybe he was in negotiations for a new contract and he didn't like the way it was going. And he just realized, well, maybe I would just do better going like maybe the Joe Rogan route where he has an independent show. He's big enough where he can, you know, break off from Fox and not have you know, any restrictions on him at all. So maybe that's what happened. Interesting idea. The only, the only reason I didn't consider it a contract thing is because, you know, they just part ways with Dan Bongino. Yes. Dan came out right away and so did Fox and came out right away and said, we could not come to an agreement on a new contract. Yes. I heard Dan say that. Yes. Fox never said that with this one. 
No, and, they didn't. And Tucker hasn't come out and said that. You know, so it's been really hush hush. Yeah. So right. Like I was wondering, does did it have to do with contract? I mean, like I don't know, because nobody's saying anything, so we don't really know what the situation is. But I'm imagining. I mean, honestly, Tucker is such a big figure that he doesn't need Fox. No, they need him more than he needs them. Right. So, I mean, for everybody to go, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Like, it's not like it's bad for Tucker. Like, he Mm -hmm. can go and do whatever he wants. No, Um, Tucker's fine. I'm worried about the rest of us. (laughs) 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 But no, like, I'm worried about myself. Like, he can totally, he's going to make a show that is like either like a Joe Rogan thing or a, like he he's gonna go off like it's not he's not disappearing. Well, what scares me about this, Jackie, is the idea that this may have been because Tucker has always rocked the corporate boat, and you know that, right? He's always rocked right for someone in his position. He rocks the corporate boat a lot more than most of those talking heads, and he's gone after yes. Big Pharma viciously for the last three years, and recently he really yes. went after them. And remember, they have sponsors on Fox News. So I'm just wondering if it's that anti-corporate bent and him going after Big Pharma, who, you know, spend a lot of money on Fox with their advertisements, that Rupert Murdoch finally got tired of that, you know, and and wanted to get rid of that, which is scary because it means that. Oh, yeah. Then you're talking about censorship, right? That anyone who has a show like that has to worry about speaking their mind or saying the right thing because it might cost them their job. You know, and we know wow. Tucker yeah. was definitely different, right? He had on, he had on, you know, he had on good people. He had on people like you. He had on Glenn Greenwald, right? You know, right. he had on a lot of people and covered a lot of stories that most of these people don't. And I think that's why a lot of people liked him. He wasn't your typical, like, Republican establishment figure. Um, he rocked the boat a lot within the Republican Party, within corporate America. And I think that may have, that that could be for speculating what cost him in the end, you know. But you're right. Maybe he can go somewhere else now, do his own thing. He's got so much money. He can start his own network, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, he can totally go independent and be fine. Um, Absolutely. And I don't, you know, I don't agree with everything he said and did, but I mean, I don't, I definitely don't believe in censorship. And I think that he brought some really amazing um, things to the public and his voice is definitely needed. 100%. I definitely agree with that. So um, and he was anti the war machine too, which is rare for someone yes. in his position. Yes, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the fact that, I mean, it, it is concerning. I mean, definitely to understand, definitely. I want to understand what happened with him and Fox. And I hope it didn't have to do with them trying to censor him, but I have a feeling that that was probably something. Yeah. I mean, there are rumors about the, that Dominion lawsuit that Fox just lost for like 700 and something million dollars. But I, I, I talked to people who were in the business 
And I said, mm-hmm. oh, wow, $765 million. And everyone I talk to in the business says, Mike, that's nothing for Fox Corporation. That's nothing. It, it, it didn't hurt Rupert Murdoch at all. Not like a, like a mosquito bite, maybe. That's about it. So no one was going to get fired over that. And if someone was going to get canned, you would think it would have been Hannity, who was the front the man for the whole thing. I mean, he right. was really the guy who was mostly anti-Dominion. He was the one that had to testify because he right. was the face of the whole thing. So why is he still there? You know, so I don't think the Dominion thing has anything to do with it because Tucker wasn't a big part of that at all. Right. You know, so I, I don't I don't really get it. In fact, Tucker had in 2020 criticized Trump's lawyers saying they had no evidence of anything. So I don't I don't really get the Dominion thing. I don't think that's the point. The left will latch on to that because they want to. Of but, course. As though it's some kind of revenge. But no, I mean, if anyone was going to be canned, it would have been Hannity and he's still there. So I don't think that had anything to do with it at all. I really don't, you know. But it was a weird day, Jackie, because it was like Don Lemon, too, right? <laughs> on the same, oh, my same gosh. Day, yeah. On the same day. You know? Yeah. So it was like this huge purge of cable news people. It's like, what's this, going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I feel bad because, like, even your cause. I mean, Tucker had you on and probably would have again, you know. So it's like, I know you get your media veils, but Tucker had a huge audience. You know, yes. And I think a lot of people who he gave a voice to are now going to have this void of where they're going to, you know, where they're going to go. I'm very, I, yeah, yeah, I'm very grateful that Tucker um, brought me on and allowed me to, you know, he gave me that venue. And even though some people had an issue with it because they didn't like, Tucker, I believe that everybody deserves to hear the message mm-hmm. that I that I have um, because it's so important and it affects so many people. Um, so yeah, no, I'm 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 absolutely grateful that he had me on, and it it, it is um, I I am concerned about what happened with him? Like, why is he not on Fox anymore? So I'm very interested in hearing, you know, what is going on. Well, we'll hear more about it. I'm sure there'll be drip drip, you know, it'll come out. The facts will come out. People will start talking more about it and we'll probably find out exactly what the real reason was, you know, but, um, you know, I guess originally before this happened, I was going to have you on to talk about what Gavin Newsom just did last week, which is, remember he took, to, just to wrap up, people don't understand, who haven't followed, he came into San Francisco, right? And he came to look at the how bad the fentanyl issue was. After how many years? He finally comes here and, and starts like, walking. On Wednesday, yes. Yeah, right. He came here. And people might have seen the clip of the San Francisco resident yelling out to him, hey, governor, what are you going to do? And the governor said, well, you tell me what to what do. What do you want me to do? Right, what do you want me to do? Now, Obviously, he knew what he was going to do, right? He had this all planned out ahead of time. Absolutely. And I, so I don't know why he, you know, he's, he's a politician. So he always, politicians do things like that. But so he had it planned out. And what happens is he gets criticized for saying that because people rightfully said that makes it look like he doesn't have his own plan, right? But he had to have right. a plan because shortly after that, he announced that he was a call in the National Guard and I believe the California Highway Patrol to help fight the fentanyl 
a problem, I guess, when it comes to drug dealers. So as far as you know, what exactly is supposed to happen now? So my and, and people are, are really I have seen people criticizing this because I think that the National Guard is going to be out there with AR-15s and it's going to be militarizing the streets of San Francisco. And that isn't my understanding of what's going to be happening. Um, I know that London Breed would not have condoned this if that was what it was going to look like. Um, From my understanding is they're bringing in people from the Cal Guard, which is the California National Guard, and they're going to be working hand in hand with the police department of San Francisco to for interdiction, like trying to stop the flow of a fentanyl into the cities. I mean, into the city, and it's going to be more of like an undercover kind of um, process where they're working with the police department and giving them some relief because the police department is, is really shorthanded and they've been working a lot of overtime, but to bring in the cow guard to be able to look into um, the, how fentanyl is coming into the city and then trying to stop that. Um, it's, it's more kind of a narcotic, an undercover narcotics officer type of sting operation that they're going to be working is my understanding. It's not going to be like coming in and, and taking, you know, militarizing the streets and, walking around with, um, you know, AK-15s and which I think people were afraid was going to be happening. Um, well, I think another a criticism is, well, there are obvious criticisms, which is that it took Gavin Newsom a very long time to do anything, right? A lot of yes. political pressure from people like yourself, other leaders of the city to, you know, to, uh, make him do anything to make him make an appearance here and, and take any kind of action whatsoever. And of course it's, it's a, it's okay to ask, is it too late? Is it, is it too late now to, to, to take care of the situation, to make things better? Also, I guess it's also legitimate to ask, well, how about shutting the border? Wouldn't that be the point? Wouldn't that be the point of entry for a lot of this stuff, Jackie? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I'm all about guarding the border. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 100%. Absolutely. Um, I do believe in allowing people into the country to create a better life. But I also don't think we should just be letting everybody in and allowing them to benefit off the backs of the lives of citizens who are mentally ill. And I feel like there are a lot of people that are coming across the border. Maybe, 
maybe not a lot, but I mean, there are a percentage of people who are coming across the border and they are coming in to sell drugs and benefit off the backs of our mentally ill and addicted loved ones. Yeah. And and, and we're seeing that. I mean, they're because they are they're they brag over the fact that they they secure all these drugs, the border. They go, oh, look at look at all the drugs we we found and look at all the all the drugs we stopped from coming across. And, And what they don't seem to understand. Well, they get it, but they pretend they don't. Is that. For every so many, you know, uh, pounds of drugs that they that they capture, that means there are another God knows how many that get into the country, right, and are spread right. onto our streets. So we're seeing more and more of these drugs coming across the border. So we know that's the entry point, right? I think we can probably all agree that for most of it, that is the southern border is the entry point. Yes. And the problem is you have a Democratic Party with a with a president who's for open borders that this has gotten exponentially worse under before, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a problem with Trump and he acknowledged it, but it's gotten much worse, uh, you know, under Joe Biden. And, uh, that's, it seems to be a problem with the Democrats that they don't seem to grasp that that is the point of entry. And if we just, you know, secured that a little bit more, maybe we wouldn't have to do these things, right? Like calling the national guard into our cities. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's 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 actually crazy to me that we have our borders that our borders are so porous that we're allowing poison to pour into our country, mm-hmm. and that we're not taking a more active role in preventing this from happening. It's it's re- it's actually really really frustrating to me that we're allowing our borders to let us poison pour into our country. Um, we need more interdiction. We need to. We need better policy in for our border. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Like it's not okay. I'm. I'm okay with letting people come here and have a better life, but I'm not okay with allowing people to come here and supposedly build a better life on the backs of the deaths of our children, including mine. Like you cannot come into this country and sell poison that kills Americans in order to improve your life. Well, and we know that these people are not, these aren't the people who are coming here to improve their lives. These are people who are finding, they found an opportunity to make money, right? Yes. These drug cartels have found an opportunity, opportunity to make money because the borders open. And this is the opportunity they didn't have as much under, under Donald Trump, right? It was much tougher. They got through a little bit. Yes, of course. But it was much tougher under Donald Trump with the border right. laws and the security yeah, than, than it is now. So they saw, just like immigrants who wanted to come here, saw more of an opportunity, right, once Biden took over, that they'd be more, they'd be more lax at the border than Trump was. Right. Um, that they found an opportunity. So did these drug dealers. They found they have an opportunity now. And to them, their opportunity may just last four years, right? 
things might change in January of 2025. So they have to make as much money as they can, you know, before then. But I think, I think, I don't you know, I don't, you know, you know how much I hate Gavin Newsom, all right? <laughs> it's not even that I don't like him. I hate the man. I despise the man. So I don't <laughs> want to give him credit for doing something after so many years and so many deaths and so much misery. He should have done something a lot sooner. And even though he's a Democrat, if he really cared, he should be out there calling for a more secure border. That that would impress me more, right, if he bucked mm-hmm. his party. If you bucked the president a little bit and said, you know what, this is really directly affecting California a lot more than some other places. So we really yes. need to get out there and, and do whatever we can to secure that border. And he's not doing that. Right. So. He's not. Right. So is this just a band aid or is it a problem because we have a mayor who, who's who's so bad at her job? Right. Maybe we had a, t- a tougher mayor, tougher DAs, tougher law enforcement. That would also help the problem, but we don't have that. So it's almost like we're doing things that we shouldn't need to do because the things we have in order and the people we have in office aren't just aren't doing their jobs, right? They're not doing their jobs. It's definitely very frustrating. Um, I do see how... There's so many pieces. It's like a puzzle that need to work together. Like the district attorney needs to work with the board of supervisors and the board of supervisors needs to work with the nonprofits and the nonprofits need to work with the mayor and the mayor needs to work with the police, police chief. I mean, and that, that's what I'm seeing. Like, because San Francisco has been really siloed and people have, and they haven't been working together. Mm-hmm. which has been a huge problem for the city because they're not communicating with each other. They're very siloed. So my, my group mothers against drug addiction and death has been working to talk to all of these groups and trying to get them to work together. And, and- your, your group has been one of the groups that has put the pressure right on politicians such as Newsom, Right. And yeah. it's really you put up you put up your billboards, you know, and you have really made the point that this is a problem, right? You've you've put it in front of their faces and said something has to be done about this, right? Yeah. And so that's a big reason why Gavin Newsom took any action whatsoever. But you gotta feel though, you know, if the the, the pieces that were already in place, like the mayor and the governor. You know, if they just did their jobs, it wouldn't get to this point, right? That it wouldn't get to the point of having to do these drastic things, right? These irregular things like call in the National Guard or or the Highway Patrol. If things were being taken care of on a on a local basis, you know, and, you know, we've already talked about the border. We can talk about that forever. But even on a local basis, if the people here were doing their jobs, I don't think this problem would have exploded, you know, the, the way it has. So, uh, and I, and I would argue that until those people start doing their jobs, the jobs we pay them for, I don't think Newsom's move is going to make much of a difference. I hope it does. I really do. I hope it works. Right. I hope we can crack down on all these, on these drug dealers. But if you talk to the people on the streets, they don't seem to be 
saying that the drug dealers are too too worried about this. Wow. Yeah. Um, I definitely understand what you're saying, that it's sad that we've gotten to this place, that we have to call in the National Guard, that we, that the politicians have made decisions that have literally brought this problem upon themselves. They have, they've, they absolutely have because they've been way too lax in, in the decisions that they've made. They put many, many resources into what they call harm reduction, which I call radical harm reduction. And they haven't put enough into treatment and rehabilitation um they just keep doubling down on what they call harm reduction and it's been incredibly frustrating um and i do think they've exacerbated this problem exactly as you've said and we're, and yes, now we're in this position where we're trying to turn things around a problem that they've actually created. Right. Um, and, it's, and it is very frustrating um, to have to, to turn around and pull this all together and figure out how to fix this disaster that's been made. And it's not something that can be fixed quickly. Um, because the problem is so, so bad right now. And there are so many puzzle pieces that need to be put into place to fix it. That there's no quick fix. There's absolutely no quick fix. And John Dennis, you know, John Dennis, who's the uh, chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party, responded to Michael Schellenberger because Michael Schellenberger has been, um, you know, pushing Newsom to do this for quite a long time now. So Michael Schellenberger sees it as a a victory that he's calling in the National Guard to shut down the open-air drug dealing. But John Dennis said, I don't agree that it's a victory. We don't need a National Guard here. We need a mayor with the guts to stop the subsidies that bring drug addicts to San Francisco. And John has a great point with that, doesn't he? I mean, we basically have a city that says, you're welcome here and we're going to pay for your addiction here. Mm. Okay. So Michael is right in celebrating the governor wanting to step in and help. Absolutely. I like Michael's absolutely right. That is something to celebrate, but I also agree that there are other changes that need to come because I was, so I was with the French press last Wednesday and San Francisco was getting a ton of international press on what is going on. And I have done a lot of interviews with like with Amsterdam, with Spain, with England, um, and just, people asking and trying to understand what's going on there. So I went out with the French press last Wednesday 
and they wanted to know what was going on. And I came across a young man. He's 26 years old. His name is Carter. And there was a mom that reached out to me about her son who was in San Francisco. So I was looking for her son and this person, this young man looked like what I thought her son was. So I introduced myself to him thinking that it might be the person that I was looking for, but it wasn't. Anyway, he told me that he's been in San Francisco for three months. He came there from Chicago. And I asked him, why did you come here? And he said, because it's really easy to be addicted here. <laughs> he said he has, he has a bed, like he's staying in a place near the federal building. And he says they give him almost $700 a month in general assistance. Incredible. Wow. And he said that, um, he likes being, he likes being high and he doesn't want to get off of his drugs. And he actually was really wanted to talk to the, um, you know, the French journalist that I was talking with and he wanted to explain to them what his situation was. But, um, no, he literally was saying, he said, he says, no, I've been here for three months. I came from Chicago. I came here because it's really easy to be addicted here. They give me almost $700 a month and I have a bed here. And then there's a man that comes and helps me with food and clothing that I have met here. So he says, and I just, am, I like my situation right now and it's easy. So that's where I'm at. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I, I, I talked to him and I said, does your family know you're here? And he goes, no, I, I need to contact them. I haven't talked to him for a while. They're probably really worried about me. I told him he could use my phone. I said, you can call them. You can text them. He didn't want to. He said that, you know, he said, I'll do that soon. But, um, it was really, really concerning to me because this was a, a really beautiful, you know, young man who has family that loves him is con and is concerned about him. But he came to San Francisco because they make it easy for him to be sick. Like, like literally that's what they're doing. They're making it easy for him to be sick in his, his addiction. And his family has no idea where he's at and what is going on with him. So they give him enough money to keep him on drugs, right? 700 bucks a month. Like literally. So like I talk, like my son is really open with me and I've talked to people on the streets and I'm like, how much does it cost for you to do fentanyl? Every every day. And, and literally the amount of money that general assistance gives you in San Francisco is enough to pay for your fentanyl addiction for the entire month. 
But of course, you're homeless as well because it doesn't give you enough money to get an apartment. No, it doesn't. But they're okay. They're okay with that because the weather's not all that bad. So they can live on the streets. Right. They can get, um, you know, food and clothing. There's nonprofits out there that help them with some of that stuff. But the most important thing to them is to be able to buy their drugs. And general assistance gives you enough money to buy a month's worth of fentanyl. Right. So you're simultaneously enabling their fentanyl uh, abuse, right? At the same time, you're also creating more homeless people here. (laughs) So you just create the city's just creating more homeless drug drug addicts. Yes. I have talked to so many people that are in contact with those that are on the streets because I like, I have friends that, that are trying to help the people that are on the streets and they're in contact with them. So they get to know them. And it is crazy how, like, we haven't met many people that are from San Francisco. So many of the homeless people in San Francisco are not from San Francisco. They came there because of the liberal policies that allow them to be addicted without any pressure in San Francisco. They come from all over the United States. It's easy to be homeless here, and it's easy to be a drug addict here. And the city encourages you to be homeless and addicted to drugs. I mean, that's what it comes down to, said blatantly, you know. But no, absolutely. It's it, and and so John Dennis has has a, a real you know point when he says we have to address this. Stop telling people, please come here. <laughs> You're welcome to come here to be a homeless drug addict. We welcome. It. We want more of you here. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, because there are other kinds of drugs, right? There is fentanyl. That's a big one now. But there are so many others still. Meth, there's that crunk, crank. There's so many of them. So it's not like everyone's going to be addicted to fentanyl. Some are addicted to other things as well. But the fact yeah. of the matter is that these are all or mostly homeless people, okay, who they're, they're welcome here to be homeless. They're welcome here to be drug addicts. And some of them, some not all of them, not all of them, but it seems like more than ever before also might have a tendency to be violent and hurt people or rip off Mm -hmm. a Walgreens, whatever it may be. So this is once again, like all this stuff that's not being addressed that the city, that the liberals in this city don't want to address. And so it once again, makes you feel that this move, this way too late move by Gavin Newsom isn't going to help much until we stop making it so easy for people to be homeless and drug addicts here, right? Yeah. At well, some point, we say you're not welcome. You're not welcome anymore, right? And doing things to make them not feel welcome, as harsh as that might be. Yeah. Well, I'm always an optimist. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, you are. You're very much an optimist. You keep going, and that shows yeah. you're optimistic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you keep going. Yeah. So, right there. So I'm like, I'm always hopeful that there's going to be, you know, a change that is um, going to make a difference, and I absolutely hope that this is going to make a difference. 
but will it, you know, I don't know. I, I, I am grateful that, um, Gavin Newsom is do you know, he's done this because I actually, it, it definitely brings attention mm-hmm. to the city, um, to the fact that there are so many things that need to be corrected in the city. Um, and people can't, I think it's a lot harder to deny it when the governor is going, look, it's yeah. so bad. Yeah. We need to bring in the national guard. Um, so I see this as a win no matter what. I'm like, I see it as, um, yes, the city needs help. There are issues here. And whether this actually helps, I don't know, but it's definitely a step in the right direction because we're showing that the city is a mess. Well, as usual, I'm going to be the pessimistic one and tell you that this is the same guy who, when he was mayor in 2008, did this big PowerPoint presentation saying that by 2018, there'd be no more homelessness in San Francisco. I remember that. Same guy. Same guy, Jackie. Same person. (laughs) So, I'm sorry. You know. I like to look at a person's truck, uh, uh, track record. And if this was a guy who said he was going to wipe out homelessness in a decade and wipe out homelessness, I'd say, okay, this guy gets things done. But yeah. not only did he not wipe out homelessness, it got a million times worse under him. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, you're I, absolutely you know, right. You're absolutely yeah. right. It's tough for me. It's, I just, I can't, I, I, once again, he's got to prove, he's got to prove it to me now. I'm from like Missouri, show me. He's got to show me this is going to work. And then I'll say, okay, he did something good. I'll give him credit. I have no problem giving someone credit if things work. But I'm very, very, very the opposite of what you are. <laughs> you know? I think I think with me, I'm just happy that he's wrecking like he's like saying, Yep, there's a problem. I think just the fact that like because we've been screaming at the top of our lungs that like it's a disaster over here. And the fact that I feel like this is just showing that he's recognizing that there is an issue. Um, it's huge, but I know what you're saying. It's, it's, it's not enough. No, it's not enough. And I really wish uh, say a real person, not someone who, and I, and I've criticized Newsom on this so many times that he's, as I say, Gavin Newsom to me is the kind of person you would cast in a movie to play a slimy <laughs> politician oh yeah he's got the look he's got everything about him right absolutely good looking slick back hair all that stuff with the hair gel and i really wish like that guy who who confronted him and said what are you gonna do i wish newsom would have just turned to him and said we're gonna do whatever we gotta do we're gonna bring in the national guard we're gonna get this cleaned up don't worry why couldn't he say that i mean just say what do you think what do you tell me that's why i'm here it's such a it's just like a slimy political answer isn't it I mean, just turn to the guy and say, I'm going to call him the National Guard. That's why I'm here. We're going to get this taken care of. Yeah. At least at least do something that showed you like a, a real person. You're human. You're not just like this. It's like a it's like he was made in the lab. It was like it's like he was made in the <laughs> Wuhan lab. They were making politicians <laughs> in the Wuhan lab. I know, you know? what you're saying. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You know? 
just be a be a real person you know i know i'm just you know. i'm trying to be hopeful and optimistic <laughs> um uh, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. But I think your ideas and John Dennis's ideas are much better, which is you have to take care of it on that local level where you don't make it so welcoming. And it's the welcoming thing because, you know, we can hear the conversations between people who are drug addicts or homeless in other places. Let's go to San Francisco. They they probably tell each other, let's go to San Francisco. San Fran- I heard my buddy Jim is in San Francisco and he gets 700 a month, right? Absolutely. And here in Tampa or in uh, Kansas City or in Salt Lake City, we don't get anything. So let's go to San Francisco where they're going to give us 700 bucks and it'll give us some money to eat and some money to buy our drugs. And and the weather's good. So being homeless isn't an issue, right? You can right. actually hear these conversations happening. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a sad reality because I mean, a lot of people like, People don't go out on the streets, obviously, and talk to the homeless, but I do and my friends do. And these are the stories that we're hearing. People are coming from all over the United States to San Francisco because it's easy to be an addict there. And the people that are on the streets, very few of them were actually born and raised in San Francisco. Right. Yeah. Because people, yeah. right. Because like people are coming in because it's an easy place to be an addict. And my son, mm. my son, Corey Sylvester flat out told me, this is the way it is in San Francisco. He said, it's like in, he said, it's, it's like, heaven and hell at the same time because you can go into San Francisco and they give you everything you need in order to be an addict. There's free pipes, foil, <laughs> straws, needles, all of it on one side yeah. of the street. And weren't they giving, and on the aren't other they giving side like of a... the street are all the yeah. dealers that you can buy from anything you want and the police don't stop you. The police don't arrest them. So everything that you think you want is there. It's all available to you, very easily available to you. And I mean, my son likened it to Pleasure Island um, in Pinocchio where the boys you know, went to Pleasure Island and they got to do all these things that they wanted to do, but then they slowly started turning into donkeys um, or asses because basically it started turning them into, you know, these people that they didn't want to be, Um, you know, and my son says it's the same way in San Francisco. They start taking your humanity away from you. They give you everything that you think you want. And then you get drawn in and it slowly just takes your humanity away from you. Is your son getting the money? The 700? Uh, No, he's not. Um, 
he's actually not really good at navigating the system. <laughs> uh, and that's the that's the case for a lot of people. I was going to bring this up. A lot of people in this city are trying to do the right thing, right? They're mm-hmm. not addicted to drugs. They're trying to make a living here, which is very difficult. And it's very tough. It's tough for them to get money. Mm-hmm. It's it's a yeah. it's actually a process just to get that food that EBT card from food stamps, you know. Right. And yet these people are being handed, not even residents. Like well, you it's said, frustrating being, because the people yeah. that should be getting it aren't right. getting it. And the right. people that should be getting exactly. it are getting it. Exactly. Very well said. Exactly. You know, so but so your son could get it if he if he navigated the system, right? Yeah, he he's not very good at navigating the system. Um but he's actually I'm really grateful. He's figured out he's started on the met, on a methadone program. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's trying to pull himself out of addiction. So, um, I'm really hopeful that that's going to happen for him. So if anybody, if anybody prays or has goodwill, please send that out for him. My son, Corey Sylvester. Yeah, he is, um, he's trying to pull himself out of addiction. He's on methadone. So he's using less and less, um, street fentanyl and he is, um, he said that he wants to try to go to detox at Highland hospital in Alameda County and then go to Walden house. And like, he has a plan to try to get well. So he does. And he's got a very optimistic mother, which helps too. Right. At yeah. Yeah. He's got he's got he's got the support that I'm guessing a lot of these people don't have, right? So that's they, they don't. And oh my gosh, yeah. it's it's actually really so crazy because so my son, like my son said that he wanted to get on methadone and he wanted to get into rehabilitation. And I cannot tell you, like it was so difficult for me, even with me helping him to get what he needed in San Francisco. Like I, I took my son to, I took him to Fort help to try and get him on methadone. And there was nobody there that could do intake for him. Incredible. Incredible. It's, It's crazy. And then, and he, and he had a bed waiting for him at Walden house in San Francisco, but he had to be on the methadone program in order for them to take him and then they I had to complete we had to complete that before one o'clock or they wouldn't take him the hoops that they try to make you jump through are insane and I as a mother was trying to help my son navigate this if he didn't have anybody to help him with it I can't imagine how someone on the streets could ever get through this because me as a mother, like I call the board of supervisors to make this work for my son. There's no way that someone on their, on the streets without an advocate for them could navigate the system in San Francisco. Absolutely flipping no way. Cause you can't... So what I'm wondering is these, these people who come here, right? 
from other places because they hear they can get the money and the weather's nice. How do they? So let's let's put it this way: someone who's really addicted to fentanyl, who's like we see them on the streets, right, bent over in a coma. How do they navigate? Do they have people who just go up to them and help them? How do they? And navigate like I feel like that must be the way. Yeah, I, I feel like that really must be the way because they're they're able to get those benefits to stay addicted so easily. And then I have my like my friend JJ. If you guys are on Twitter, you know who he is. Right. right. Like he literally went out. Like people, like harm reduction people, were giving out Narcan and pipes and stuff. So he went up to them and he said, "They said, what do you need?" And he says, "Can I have some Narcan?" And then he said do you have any cards or pamphlets for people that want to get help that want to get well and want to go into rehab? Do you have any thing that I can hand out to them with contact information? And they said, no, they had nothing. Absolutely nothing. Literally nothing that they could give him that would tell people how to get well. So he's like, okay, we can give you Narcan, we can give you pipes, we can give you foil, but we don't have any kind of literature on how to get well and who to call. And that's what we're seeing over and over and over again in the city. Like, there's a mom in our group, Mothers Against Drug Addiction, who, when the Linkage Center was open in San Francisco, at UN Plaza, she went undercover as a homeless person. Mm. She went into the linkage center and she, she was pretending to be homeless. And she said, she was telling them, I want to get off drugs. What can you tell me about how to get off drugs? It was in, it was ridiculous because they said, they didn't have any literature to give her. They didn't have any phone numbers. They didn't have any cars. They didn't have any paperwork to give her. But they said, if you want to use, we have foil and, and pipes and we have this stuff for you. So they, were, they said, we, we, we can make it easier for you to use. But if you want to get off it, that's kind of hard. I don't know. Yes. Uh, yes. That's insane. She said, this is insane. Had, she said they had one flyer that was tacked up on a wall. But they didn't have a copy of it so that she could take it with her or anything. It was just something that she would have to either put into her phone, if she had a phone, which many people, homeless people, don't have Don't, of course. Yes, yeah. um, and I think she, it was, like, mind-blowing to us how, like, how they can help you stay addicted and give you you know, the tools to use the drugs, but they didn't have any place to direct you to go to get well. And, and we're seeing that over and over and over again in the city. And, and it's just like, it's making us really angry and really frustrated. And when they talk about opening safe use sites, we get really, really angry too, because there is a place for those once you have built out services for recovery and treatment. But San Francisco hasn't done that. They are repeatedly putting money into 
what they call harm reduction and we call it radical harm reduction because they're spending so much money on giving people pipes and foil and straws and keeping them in their addiction and they're not putting enough money into treatment and recovery and they keep looking at they're like okay we're going to open safe consumption sites no you should not be doing that until you have built out treatment and recovery until all the methadone clinics are open 24 hours and staffed with an intake doctor what is the harm reduction you mean withdrawal is that what they're talking about? Harm reduction. What they call harm reduction is giving out needles, which we do agree with, um, but also giving out pipes and foil and straws. They consider that harm reduction. You but mean they, to make they, it more hygienic? They call it, yes, more hygienic, which that's is ridiculous, which is insane. That's insane. It's because ridiculous. They're, like, there's crank in the drugs and it's causing their limbs to to fall off because they're so infections exactly um so this harm reduction is is literally just helping people stay i I have an idea they wouldn't have infections if they didn't if they didn't have the addiction right exactly (laughs) i mean it's this once again it's so it's so it's so interesting and once again i'm talking to jackie berlin of mothers against drug addiction and deaths. And we're talking about the fentanyl issue here and Gavin Newsom's latest move of bringing in the National Guard and the Highway Patrol to try to crack down on open air drug dealing, drug markets. And we also talked about the uh, Tucker Carlson being um, fired from Fox News. If you want to call in and talk about those things, we'll, we'll take phone calls. Um, but this is what makes me go crazy. And once again, I really appreciate more than ever when you tell me these things, that you're able to stay positive, Jackie. Because all this stuff you tell me makes me even more pessimistic because the people in the city who are supposed to know what they're doing seem to not know what they're doing, right? Or they seem to be putting their efforts in simply the wrong direction, right? When you and I agree, and many would agree, with people with common sense and who really want this to go away, for this problem to go away and people to get better, is that you need the, the problem is the addiction. That's the problem. The addiction. You don't have to worry about the infections and the, the, the needles, the clean needles, all of that stuff. You don't need to worry. I don't, I don't worry about that because I'm not addicted, right? So get them off the drug. What is so hard for these people to understand? Yeah, it's, it's just so frustrating to me. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know why they think they they talk about meeting them where they're at and they're saying that if we're just their friends then they'll eventually decide to get well um and that might have been okay 10 years ago but we're dealing with fentanyl now and that's a whole nother issue and this drug is so incredibly debilitating it's caused and the things that are being mixed in with the drugs are causing people to lose their limbs because they're getting necrosis um like it's it's 
these people are talking as if these drugs aren't as deadly as they are, as if it's just some kind of, oh, we're smoking marijuana and we can wait and talk to you guys later and it'll be okay. Yeah. It, it, it's just mind blowing to me that they think that people doing fentanyl for years and years and years on end is okay. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it, it would seem to be a real disconnect. I mean, these are the people who are supposed to be on the ground who know what they're doing, right? And and we hear politicians talking about this all the time. Well, let's let's put our faith in the people who know what they're doing. You know, who we've we've hired to to take care of these things. And I don't see that happening. And when you tell me that they're more concerned with, and I've heard this before, but the way you put it made even more stark, which they're they're more concerned with enabling the addiction than ending the addiction, which tell me they have no clue what they're doing. And no. it's no shock that things have gotten worse. I mean, why wouldn't I, if I were an addict somewhere else in the country, why wouldn't I want to go to a place with one good weather, okay, two, that's going to give me 700 a month to fuel my addiction, three, is not going to really put any kind of uh, pressure on me to stop the addiction and is going to help me continue my addiction in a cleaner, more hygienic way. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I choose to go there. I'd want to go there. And yeah, I mean, that's a person I talked to two, day, two days ago that said he likes to be addicted. He came to San Francisco three months ago from Colorado because they make it easy. And he wants to he he wants to be addicted and they give him everything that he needs. I mean, he literally said this to me. I was with French journalists and they recorded it all. I wish um, I had been with an American journalist who could have recorded it, too. But I know where to find him. So I should bring an American journalist out there so he can record him because he was very open about the fact and he had no no problem. He, he likes talking to journalists and telling them why he was there and what he was doing and what he was all about. Um, I've uh, seen people on television saying the same thing. I've seen them. Yeah. Fox News, yeah. they, they won't put them on CNN or MSNBC, but Fox News um, put them on. And you see people in San Francisco. One woman, just a couple of weeks ago, one woman just said, I'm going to be honest. They make it easy here. That's what mm -hmm. she said. I'm not going to lie. They make it easier for me here to be an addict. How yeah. sad is that? How sad is it? Really? It's heartbreaking. And <laughs> especially, and if you have a loved one mm -hmm. who struggles with addiction and there's this city that is pulling them in and encouraging what they're doing. And you're like, you are stealing my loved one from me by encouraging this but the city doesn't care they just do it anyway and it's it's absolutely heartbreaking well <clears throat> i think part of it comes from the the more liberal mindset of um you know treat these people well don't don't make the addiction a crime right we hear that a lot don't we from the left I, especially don't make the yeah. addiction a crime but the problem with that thinking is then you get this kind of coddling of, oh, you're, you're welcome here. You're safe here. We're not going to treat you as a criminal here. And so, you know, 
it's only going to get worse. The city's only going to get worse because of it, because it's so welcoming. And at some point, um, we have to make it not welcoming. And I don't know what those steps are. I don't think those steps are having the National Guard with AK-47s walking in the streets. Right. I don't, I don't think that's the answer. You know, I, <laughs> I'm getting to the point now where I'm not so sure. But nobody really wants a city to become that, right? Right. Like, like an urban war zone where you have, you know, these, uh, uh, you know, National Guard people walking around with AK-47. It doesn't make, look, if, if I'm the mayor, I'm not going to want that, right? It doesn't make no, it for a very welcoming tourist, tourist city, right? Many, uh, none of us want that. None <clears throat> of us want that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I honestly think that when we say that I think it's important that we we look at the fact that we want people well and I don't think it I do I don't think that we should criminalize addicts but I think we should definitely look at we definitely have to not allow people to use on the streets and be okay with that. Yeah. That's not exactly welcoming to turners either. Right. We see people strung out on the streets and, you know, bent over, as you know, in that position, that fentanyl position and all that stuff, that doesn't make it very welcoming for tourists. And what's happening here is that people are coming here. Tourists are coming here. They're seeing this because Jackie, I walk every day and it's not a very long walk. I walk from, my apartment on Lower Knob Hill to my gym in the financial district is 10 minutes. And every day, every single day, I pass at least five to 10 people strung out on drugs or talking to themselves or walking with their pants down or yelling at people. So you can only imagine what tourists have to go through. So they come here, they take a shot, they come to San Francisco based on our history, not our present. And they go home and they tell their friends and family don't go there and i'm not going back again so it, tourism as bad as it is now it's going to get worse because people mm-hmm. are not going to want to come here anymore you know i have to live here but a tourist doesn't have to come here there are millions of other places they can go so that's an issue you know that's a big problem here you know absolutely I mean? and i have to tell you that i mean the international press is 100% taking notice because I have talked to Spain, England, Amsterdam, um, Italy, Portugal. I'm like, I am like, I have been talking to, I've been interviewing with more international press in the last two weeks than I have been with local press because people are taking like other countries are taking notice and they're concerned and they see what's going on in San Francisco and they don't want it to happen in their country. And they also want to understand, um, because they don't want to come here if that's what's going on. Um, it does make me sad that I'm, I'm having to talk to, all of these countries about 
what's going on in San Francisco and that it's not in a good place right now. Um, I do, I want to be telling the international press that San Francisco is not a good place to come to. No, I don't because it's a beautiful city and I love California and I love where I live and I don't want to, I don't want to be having to share these things, but it's the truth. Um, and I'm not going to lie about it and it needs to change. So that's why I'm in the position that I am. Yeah. I've, I've never lived and I've lived in many cities and I, I talk about local people here a lot. I know there are people, there are local people like you and people listen to this podcast that who understand the problems here and don't, you know, try to sugarcoat it. But I think there are a lot of people and especially it's usually, it's usually the people who have lived here forever or were born here and they're very provincial. They haven't lived in other places like I have. And I've never lived in a city and I've lived in several major cities in this country and Canada. I've never lived in a city where I feel like I have to carry mace everywhere I go. And now I carry mace everywhere I go. And I'm thinking to myself, every time I, I, I go out, I think, why, why would I, why do I continue living here? Why? Why live in a city where I have to carry mace with me when I yeah. can live in so many other cities in this country where I don't have to do such a thing. And look, we've seen the mass exodus from California, right? From LA right. and San Francisco. And the numbers are bad, but they're much worse than they say it is. And uh, you see, that's what people, that's the decision people are making. And I'm a single person. If I had a family, I would not be here anymore. Okay. Yeah. But I only have to worry about myself. I don't got to worry about my son or my daughter or my wife walking in the street. But if I, had to, I would not live here anymore. So this is a problem that this, the elites in this city don't seem to want to address because it doesn't affect them. Because if you're wealthy, you can live in a high-rise condo here, right? Get everything delivered to you. Work from home now, right? <laughs> Zoom. And uh, I, I think working from home is a bigger problem here than most places because a lot of people here, the liberal elites, don't have to walk around a lot. They don't have to walk to work or they don't have to take Muni to work anymore or Bart to work anymore. So they think, I like my life. I like my 6000 a month penthouse. I like getting Uber Eats. You know, my, my food gets delivered to me. I get to work four days a week and it's on Zoom. Why would I want to leave? And those people, I think, are ruining it for the rest of us because they simply don't have the skin in the game to want things to change and that those elites, very true yeah and th those elites uh, the mayor and the board of supervisors are part of those elites they're part of those elites they just don't right well they don't seem, have you know, to yeah right yeah they are they can be they're so separated from what the rest of what the rest of us are dealing with and um they don't see it they don't experience it like i met with some people from the department of um the department of public health and the i'm just telling them what our experiences are day to day trying to get 
help for our loved ones and how far removed they are from that was really eye-opening and really sad because they have no idea about how difficult it is to try to get, um, you know, help for our loved ones and, and what we go through on a daily basis as loving someone who is in addiction and then trying to navigate the system and how difficult it is. Um, like I literally Hillary Coonins was in tears in the meeting that we were in because it, because she didn't realize how difficult it was and how broken things are. Um, and, and I mean, and, and that's, I mean, that's the reality of it. Like these people who are making these decisions are not stepping out onto the streets and engaging with the people who are trying to navigate this. Yeah. So they have no idea of what a mess it is right now. And I think another issue is that we have um, <clears throat> a media here who is, there are some people in the media who write, who, who tell it like it is, you know, but lately, I'll, and I'll, I'll probably get into this more tomorrow, but uh, I'm seeing stories from uh, people in the media who are writing things like, well, this is a right wing conspiracy, the San Francisco's. I'm sure you've seen these, right? Oh, it's a, the right wingers are making it seem like crime is so bad, but it's really not. You know, and then you have people like Gavin Newsom who are saying things like, well, he wants to make it clear that crime is worse uh, in uh, in other Republican cities. Right. And he he points out two cities, one in Florida, one. What a coincidence that Gavin Newsom points out a Florida city and a Texas city that technically has more crime than San Francisco. But of course, it's not true. Everything he says is a lie. Right. There are different Mm -hmm. types of crime. Right. And that skews the numbers but people here in san francisco like you and i and others feel it every day we know crime is worse than ever before right we know it we feel less safe Mm -hmm. than ever before and that makes it real that makes it true it's like politicians telling you the economy is good when you know it's not right (laughs) yeah well you can feel it in your bank account in your wallet in your in your very bones that it's not good Right. And they say, no, no, don't worry about it. It's good. The numbers say the numbers say, well, we know what the truth is. So the problem is when you have someone like Gavin Newsom just simply not admitting how crime has shot through the roof in California. He won't admit it. Right. And you have a media which is carrying his water, saying things like, um, you know, uh, the Republicans are making this up like. Like you and I are, are Republicans. They don't even say Republicans. They say the extreme right wing is making this up. Like most of the residents who in San Francisco, like you and I, Jackie, who are complaining are right wing, are right wing extremists. It's ridiculous. Right. And anyone that listens to you know you're not a right winger at all. You know? <laughs> not <laughs> you at know? all. You know, so. It's this incredible gaslighting that really pisses me off. Yeah, absolutely. Me, me too. It's very frustrating. Um, fighting against it is exhausting, <laughs> but we can't give up. 
we can't give up, you know. No. But I think Karthik, the Karthik, do you have a, let me see if Karthik has a question for you. Hey, Karthik, how's it going? What's up, Mike? And, uh, what's up? And, Jack. uh, Jack, yeah, I, I was looking for a name. That's all. Um, <laughs> good, good evening. Um, well, it's uh, nice to have, uh, have you on. So you're a member of Mothers Against um, Drug Addiction and Death? Yes. Oh, your co-founder. Okay, even better. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank uh, you. So I know there's no easy answer for this, or quick answer, but um, do you have any advice for um, someone with a family member that's, or someone that is struggling with a drug addiction? Or any other? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question. And um, so my son has been addicted to opiates for about 10 years. And when he first became addicted, I really didn't understand what was going on. And I, I didn't talk to him in a way that helped him communicate with me. Um because every time I talked to him, it it was like, when are you going to get well? Like, how can you get well? Like, I'm here. Like, And then a friend told me, she said, every conversation that he has is about drugs. She said every, his entire life is about getting drugs. It's everything. And she said, what if when he calls you, you just talk about normal life, like what's going on in the family and don't talk to him about drugs at all. And when I started to do that, it made a huge difference in my relationship with him because he stopped being afraid to call me because I wasn't going to be pressuring him to get well. And it, it, it made a big difference in that he started, he started to call me a lot more often. And all I did was talk to him about the life that he had left behind, even though he didn't realize that's what I was doing, but that is what I was doing. Um, and it changed our relationship and the way we talked to each other. And he started calling me so much more where he, in the past, he didn't call me for like, like weeks on end. Now we, I talk to him every week. Um, and he started to start remembering about how he loved his family and that life that he left behind. And now my son, he texted me two days ago and he's telling me how he wants to get well. And he's saying, I, he's mapping out a plan for himself to get off drugs. And he says it's because he wants his family back. Um, so I think that's been huge in just trying to show someone who is if you love someone who is addicted to as hard as it is to not always tell them every time you call call they call you when are you going to get well when are you going to get well 
if you could just talk about, just talk normally to them about, oh, so-and-so just got married and blah, 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 just had a baby. And then so-and-so went to um, Hawaii on this really cool vacation. If you could just talk to them normally about the beautiful things that are going on in life with family and yourself, it actually starts to remind them of everything that they're missing out on without guilting them by saying, when are you going to get well? When are you going to get well? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, how, how old is your son? He's he's 31. Okay. I'm 27. So similar age. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he's telling he's now telling me he started to get really honest with me when I started to do this, when I started to like understand what he was going through and how difficult, um, getting sober is like when I, I told him that I understand that his greatest fear is going through withdrawals when I really started to understand that and that I, I was like, okay, I understand that's your greatest fear. It meant a lot to him that I was trying to understand the life that he was living. And then it also meant a lot to him when I just started reminding him of how beautiful life is apart from addiction. So it basically like takes them out of that that mindset of always thinking about the addiction, right? And drugs. Yes. And opens right. up the world like, to them again. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Because they feel so if they call you and you talk to them about getting well all the time, they feel so they feel really, really guilty. Um and if you're talking to them and they don't want to call you if they know that every time they call you, you're going to ask them, when are you going to get well? Sure. When are you going to get yeah. right? So if you kind of flip that and you just stop saying that, because obviously they know that you want them to get well. So just stop saying it and just start having light conversation with them about how amazing life is. Oh, you know, Claudia went to Hawaii last week and it was so cool. And, you know, Christopher's baby just turned a month old and she's starting to coo and talk. Like you're, you're just showing them um, what real life is. And then they start seeing what they're missing. Um, so it's almost like you, and want, not you, you want to do small talk. Exactly, exactly. And they're not afraid to call you. They start calling more because they want to hear those beautiful things and you're not pressuring them and they're not, which makes them feel guilty because they don't want to feel that guilt, of course. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's actually just, just that little nuance of changing the way you talk to them can make a huge difference. And when my friend taught me that, I really saw how it changed my relationship with my son. And it's really starting to benefit. And that makes sense. But because the natural inclination for someone, for anyone, especially a parent, is to right away and go towards the the problem, right? 
And I did. I did. Every time he called, I was like, are you ready to get well? Like, I'm here for you. I'll come get you. Let's go. Like, I, I, I did that. And it would cause him to not call me as often. Right. Your son must have um, given up a lot in these last decade. Or lost a lot, I mean. Um, It's very, very... It's heartbreaking because, yes, he did. He lost his entire 20s. Um, Yeah, it's really heartbreaking you know, that, that he did, that, that he lost that. And, um, and he can't ever get that back. But I think he's starting to see that because I did, I mean, I do say to him, I'm like, Oh, look, like this was two months ago that you said this. I do say to him, this was two months ago that you said to this, to me and he's like oh my gosh has it been two months already so I do try to point out to him the amount of time like how fast time is is going and he's not realizing and he's not realizing it um but yeah I I'm just grateful that I'm able to to be able to like, show him that there is an opportunity to turn things around and that he's actually finally trying to make some steps to, to make changes. And I've never heard, I have to tell you, I've never heard that advice before. Just talk about other things. I've never heard anyone say that when it comes to dealing with someone in your family, a loved one, whoever may be a friend who has a, a drug addiction. I've never heard that. I think that's great advice. And it's obviously proof is it works, right? You have opened yeah, up the I channels think... of communication more because of that. No, ab- absolutely. Because as I said, my son, like I would go, he would go a couple months without talking to me. But once I started to really understand what he was going through and then I stopped pressuring him to get well it was crazy how our relationship changed and he started calling me more often Mm -hmm. and then when I started showing that I understood the pain that he was in and how difficult it would be to get well um that he just started to talk to me more about it and to try to work towards getting well on his own like it was literally amazing when he knew that I understood what he was going through and I wasn't, it wasn't this like judgment all the time. And I was just there with him and loving him. I mean, it, it was huge and it, it, it's made a really big difference. And I think, I do think it is what's going to get him well because like he told me his plan like he said, in the next couple of months, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And I'm like, the clarity that he has right now, I haven't seen, you know, in years. It, so it's. You, you must be very, very worried if he's going to wake up uh, every day or the next day. Oh, absolutely. That has been something that has always been on my mind. Um always the fear that this day will be the day that he overdoses 
Yeah. Um, Before I've I had go, to try to think positively, I've had to like kind of shift my mindset. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to function every day. Um, yeah, I'm not a parent, but I'm. Uh, I don't have any kids, but uh, I can only. I can't even imagine how um, heartbreaking the last. 10 years has been for you. Um, but before I go, and I know this isn't the same thing, but um, do you think that junk food addiction is real? Because I've heard sugar can be as addicting as heroin. Mm, I definitely do believe, I, I mean, I do believe that there are many kinds of addiction and that I think junk food can be an addiction, but I absolutely don't believe it is physically as addicting as an opiate. That's yeah. a whole yeah. nother level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Anyway, Mike. Uh, Carthy, I, thank you. Good call. Thanks. Appreciate it. You know, I usually come around to fuck around, but uh, really, <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> he does. Anyway, he does. Um, hey, come into my DMs and be my friend. I would like to chat with you. Oh, yeah. There you yeah, go. Good talk. I'll see you later, Mike. All right, Carthy, thanks. Yes. <laughs> hey, he could be serious when he wants to be. That's interesting. Yeah. It's good to know. Yeah. It's good to know. No, he, you know, he had great questions. Yeah, you know, he he did mention the thing about sugar, but I was gonna. It, it makes me remember what I wanted to ask you. Have you heard about that new stuff called uh, gas station heroin? No. Oh boy, this is. I did a story on this last week. This is a uh, a drug which you can buy at convenience stores, primarily the ones that are located at gas stations around the country. And it's basically legal heroin. And people are getting addicted to this because it's legal right now. Now, nine states have now made it illegal. And the hope is that other states are going to follow. But it's something you can buy for like 20, 25 bucks a bottle at a gas station. And it's basically a legal version of heroin. It has the same effect. Doctors have found out this drug has the same effect on the brain as heroin does. So you get just as addicted you go through incredible withdrawals and you need to keep using it, right? In order to not what go through. What is it? Like, it's, what is it? I'm like, uh, well, I, the name of the drug itself, I can't pronounce, but it's, 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 um, in gas stations, they usually sell it under the name Zaza, Z A Z A. And they have a red bottle and a white bottle. It's Zaza red and Zaza white. Yes. And heroin addicts. I mean, there are people who get addicted to it, but a lot of the people who get addicted to it are already been drug addicts, and many of them are heroin addicts. And they have found until recently that this is legal to do. So it was a legal way, right, for them to continue their, their heroin addiction. You can buy it very easily at a, at a uh, gas station. So that's why they call it uh, gas station heroin. But if you look up gas station heroin, it'll tell you all about it. In fact, I read a story last week about a woman who uh, the media did a story on her. They followed her for three days, her and her boyfriend, and they followed them through their addiction and uh, on this gas station heroin. But it's really horrible because it is, it isn't cheap like fentanyl. It's expensive. I think it's $30 a bottle for like 15 pills. So it's like two bucks a pill. And, uh, and these people have like spent all of their money which they don't even have to begin with on this stuff. And every time in the story I read, every time the boyfriend makes a little bit of money, he walks like it's so addictive that he walks like six miles to the nearest gas station in order to buy it. 
That's how bad it is. Yeah, that's how addictive. It's called T-I-A-N-E-P-T-I-N-E. Tianapatine. Tianapatine. I'm going to have to research this. I don't know anything about this. Yeah, it's... um. It's it's new stuff. It's like I said, people have never known about this because it's something you can they they sell it under, you know, like dietary supplement, like they do fat burners and muscle builders. So the FDI, FDA, yeah. So the FDA can't do anything about it. Um, It's 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 marked on Zaza, Tiana and Red Dawn. And basically, you can go into almost any gas station around the country and buy it. So state by state now, they're trying to make it illegal so they can't sell it at these uh, drugs, at these uh, gas stations anymore. But this is another one. This is another terrible drug that's out there. So scary. Yeah, bad stuff. Very bad stuff. I mean, the withdrawal this poor woman went through, she said they have, it's the the same as opiate withdrawal. Same thing. I mean, my God. Yeah. Fever, nausea, chills, uh, you know, uh, uh, vomiting, all that stuff. And then they have to run and get these pills so the uh, withdrawal symptoms go away. Very bad. Very bad. So this is another thing. Like like we needed something else, right, Jackie? No, you know? seriously. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. We, 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 needed, we needed something else to worry about, you know. But mm-hmm. I, I do want to go back to what you were saying about your son and that idea of talking to uh, them about other things mm-hmm. and opening up their mind to other things mm-hmm. and not putting that incredible pressure on them, which makes perfect common sense that every time they call you, you're not going to be like, okay, time to get off, time to get off the drugs. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause who would want to deal with that? Who would want to keep calling someone? Right. Well, That's- right. And I mean, you know, my son loves me very, very much and he doesn't want to hear me constantly saying, you know, and he does cause he doesn't want to disappoint me. Um, so when I started talking to him just about life in general and I stopped pressuring him, he's like, he started calling me and, and then he started being more honest with me about what was going on with him. And that, that was a huge shift in our communication. And I, I do believe it is what is helping him consider getting well and, and working on a plan. Mm Mm-hmm. So I would definitely say that anybody who loves someone who is dealing with addiction, um, shifting the way you talk to them, and it's not easy to do, but I think that that can definitely be a catalyst in helping them to get well. Like if you want them to can if you want them to communicate with you it has to be it it has to be where they're not feeling constantly bombarded they're not going to call you if they feel like you're going to constantly make make them feel guilty you, this reminds me of like the son who doesn't live with their parents maybe lives across the country and they're single and every time they call their mother it's like when are you going to get married yeah when are you going to get married <laughs> when are you going to give me a grandchild yeah. <laughs> when no, are you going to give yeah. me a Greg? It's like, I'm not exactly. calling you like, again. I'm not calling you Do you, you want to call somebody, like, when you call them, they're making you feel like crap all the time? No. Right, right. You will call somebody who 
is, you know, is telling you good things. So I just started to tell my son what's going on in the lives of his siblings. And he loved hearing that. Um, and plus it's giving him a glimpse into what he's missing out on. Yep. And he has, you know, he said the thing, the reason, the only, the reason he wants to get sober is to have his family back. And it, it brought in the, like it, the clarity of that comes in when I'm reminding him of what he's missing. You know, your brother just had his third baby, you know, um, your sister just got married. Uh, I just went to Italy and we, you know, saw the, like all of those amazing things that life has out there for you when you get sober. Yeah. Well, that is a very positive thing. You know what? I think we've, we've, we've come to, we've talked about a lot of negative things in the last hour and a half, a lot of things that are problematic with the way things are handled. But what it comes down to, what a parent can do, right, to maybe, maybe help their 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 children or what a friend could do to maybe help a friend get off of drugs is, like you said, just this very simple thing of not constantly pressuring them to get off the drugs, not constantly talking about just the drugs, just that dark hole and opening their minds to other things. And I think that's, that's a very positive thing. You know what, Jackie, maybe we can end it on a positive note. I don't want yeah. to keep you up forever. I have this habit of keeping poor Jackie <laughs> up till one in the morning here on the West Coast. But, uh, <laughs> I do have to work in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I know. I always do this to you. And, uh, but you know what? Thanks for coming on. And um, of course, down the road, as things progress, I hope you'll be able to come on this show and say, you know what? We've made some really great inroads here in San Francisco. You know, and 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 also that your son is totally drug free and on the yes. straight and narrow. That's also what we want to hear in the future. So yes, we'll have, we'll, we'll talk again soon, Jackie. Thanks as so. always. Thank always. you. You're yes, welcome. always good talking to you. Thank you. You too. Take sure. care. Have a good night. You too. <laughs> good night. Okay. Okay, so that was Jackie Berlin of Mothers Against Drug Addiction and Deaths, and we spoke about if you want to, if you haven't been around since the beginning at 11 p.m. Pacific play of the show. And we talked about a little bit the beginning about the Tucker Carlson issue because Jackie has been on Tucker Carlson show a couple of times. Um, and then of course spoke about Gavin Newsom's move of bringing in the national guard and the uh, highway patrol to combat the uh, fentanyl drug dealing. So another great conversation. Look, I didn't expect to wake up this morning and hear that Tucker Carlson is no longer on Fox. I am still a little bit punch drunk from that. So we'll talk more about that tomorrow, but I do want to end the show on this and we'll talk much more about the Tucker Carlson situation, free speech and everything else tomorrow. Um, but Glenn, Glenn Greenwald wrote this today. He said, Tucker was the cable host who most opposed U.S. proxy war in Ukraine, denounced the CIA, FBI and DHS for its systematic lies and corruption devoted himself to a pardon for Julian Assange, objected to regime change efforts in Cuba, and criticized Trump administration's militarism. And what is really, Glenn's 100% right. And as I spoke to Jackie about, 
uh, Tucker had people on like herself, other people that other hosts and other cable shows would not give a voice to. And what amazes me about the left, which makes me really despise them even more, is that they are dancing on the grave of basically one of the few cable news network hosts who was anti-big war machine, anti-corporate America, rocked the corporate boat, criticized Big Pharma, which, as Jackie and I you know, had discussed, may have, may have been the reason or one of the reasons why Fox canned him is because he recently went on another rant against Big Pharma. And if you watch Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, you see that many, many of their advertisements are from Big Pharma drugs. So I, I think that the fact that the left all of a sudden has become so pro-corporate America, so pro-Big Pharma, so pro-war machine to the point where they dance on the grave of the only person who spoke against this stuff really shows how hypocritical they've become. And also, many of you might be saying, well, maybe they didn't know this stuff about Tucker. Well, that makes it even worse, okay? Because that's probably true. Most of the people who were dancing on Tucker's grave probably never watched one episode in eight years, seven years. Never watched one episode in seven years, which makes them incredibly ignorant, incredibly ignorant, and have no idea what they're talking about because they just simply looked at clips, you know, 10, 15 second clips of him saying something, quote unquote, incendiary on CNN, incendiary on CNN or MSNBC. Oh, and how much we have to hate. We've been told, you know, Rachel Maddow and, and the now dearly departed Don Lamone uh, told us how much we have to hate Tucker Carlson, how disgusting he is. So it's obvious that he is, you know, uh, and how pissed off I am that <laughs> Tucker Carlson wasn't around today to talk about the departure of Don Lamone. That really pisses me off, really does. Um, but we'll talk more about Don Lamone tomorrow also and how there's no comparison between Tucker Carlson and Don Lamone because Tucker Carlson will land on his feet. He need, Fox needed him more than he needed Fox. And he'll end up what is a very big bank account. He'll end up on his feet somewhere else. Uh, maybe even start his own network or whatever it may be. Where Don Lamone, uh, uh, unless MSNBC swoops in, and I don't think they will because they're so woke, I don't think they'll hire him because of all the problems he's had behind the scenes with and calling women, you know, past their prime at 50. So they probably, they're so woke, they probably can hire him. So I don't know what Don Lamont would do other than maybe, what, run for mayor of Chicago? That's about it. We'll talk more about this tomorrow. I want to thank Jackie Berlin, Mothers Against Drug Addiction and Deaths, for another great uh, conversation. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Karthik for, yes, his, his very good phone call. Great questions. We know that Karthik is, is, you know, he can do it. He's got it in him. He's got it in him. I want to thank everyone else for listening. And I want to remind everyone, the name of this show is And Let's Be Heard. And I'll be on the call-in network until Fox hires me. <laughs> uh, the show airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, and I'll see you tomorrow night. But until then. This is Mike Atropoli reminding you that your influence counts. Use it 